display. There we go. It says it's been live now. Loading. And we might be going live now. And it seems that we are live. So welcome to the Skillet Valley uh, podcast. Uh, apologies for uh, being some minutes uh, late. And welcome to the Skillet Valley podcast, where we bring the best tech leaders in the world from Silicon Valley, uh, New York, London, Barcelona, Madrid, Berlin, Paris, and Asia to share their experiences and their scaling up journeys, scaling companies from 2 million to 100 million uh, ARR. Today I have the very special guest, and I'm very proud of announcing that uh, today we'll have Miguel Arias, the Global Entrepreneurship Director at uh, Telefonica, which was also the CEO, the CEO uh, at Cartu, a very well-known uh, company in, in Spain and, and abroad. Welcome, Miguel. Hello, hello, everybody. It's great to be here. Awesome. So and, and let's get start by getting to know a little bit more about yourself and how did you went leading Telefonica? Uh, I know that you are also a business angel. You have been also on the scale up side. So you have a different perspective uh, about the scaling up journey uh, as an operator, as an investor, uh, as an executive, uh, etc. So yeah, feel free to, to, to introduce yourself. Wonderful. So I'm going to tell you a 15 years story in two to three <laughs> minutes. Okay. So I'm going to just compress everything. <laughs> epic, right? So I started uh, my professional journey as an entrepreneur in, and my first company, uh, which started, uh, I mean, like almost 14, 15 years ago. So before entrepreneurship was a thing in Spain, right? Before all the, all the boom and hype that we have right now. And it was um, a webcasting and virtual events company. And, and we were able to grow that all bootstrapped. I mean, there was almost no access to funding at the time in, in Spain to, to, and of course, uh, with many uh, highs and lows, right? That this is a big roller coaster. So over 11 years, we were able to, to scale that to a company around 40 people, uh, starting with physical events, then moving to virtual events. And, and we were lucky enough to, to be able to, to sell the company to the American leader in the sector called On24. So after that, uh, what they would call in the U.S. a decent exit, uh, we were able to then uh, uh, well, learn to be Americans for a few years during the integration period, as you can imagine. <laughs> and, and after that, after these two years uh, lock-up period, I was thinking what to do with my life. And um, two of the best people I've ever worked with, two former colleagues at my first startup at the, at the Master, uh, they had started another business, right? Javier and Sergio. And it's good to see how you can cross-pollinize, right, in, in an ecosystem and work from one company to the other. So they, they asked me to, to join the rocket ship. And when you were asked to join, to join a rocket ship, to just jump in, right? So uh, at the time, the company is called Visuality. Now it's called Carto, right? And, okay. and I joined when we were like 10, 10, 12 people. And I, it was a company with a very strong technical arm, great product, but uh, still weak arm in everything else so from operations to finance to to sales and i was able to to join as chief operating officer and do i would say everything that the ceo doesn't want to do <laughs> that was, that was my job description 
and and it was a very very nice ride, right? I mean, for four years we were able to raise over forty million dollars by the likes Axel or Sales for Ventures or Kibo in, in Spain. Grew the company to more than hundred team members, enterprise SaaS business, right? So uh, offices and headquarters in, in in New York and also offices in DC by you know acquiring another startup in Estonia. So the full package of high growth. SaaS enterprise, mostly in the in the market of location intelligence. So it was a very nice ride. But after four years and a half of, of doing that, I was commuting biweekly in Madrid, New York, right? So 10 days in New York, 20 in Madrid, which is not too easy also on the personal side. Okay. So in, in that moment, I mean, I think the role of the COO is to, is to build teams, to build a great sales team with a great VP marketing, a great operations team, the great finance team, great marketing team. And over time, you start having all these US-based great operators, which have all the experience, who do it much better than you do. So I was thinking what to do with, with my life a bit after all these uh, great years. And then I got a very, very interesting opportunity, which is to do my first corporate gig ever uh, as the global responsible for all the entrepreneurial efforts at Telefonica, right? And and it's a it's a big team. It's a it's a big, I would say, reach, right? We're talking about eleven countries, a lot of different venues, and I'm managing WIDA, which is a very well-known project in, in okay. Europe and, and Latin America. So it's it gives me the opportunity to see many many different ecosystems, many technologies at once, which is great. Invest in many different companies, and as you mentioned, I've been a business angel before. But it's different, right? I, I did eight investments. It's a very expensive hobby I have. And, <laughs> and, and, and now I get to invest. I mean, I did already 50 in my first year and a half, right, in, in, in Telefonica. So I'm, I mean, I'm learning a lot, right? For somebody who has always been on the other side of the table as an entrepreneur, to be within the corporation, it's, a, it's an amazing learning experience. And it's also eye-opening. Absolutely. And also to resist the temptation uh, of letting those teams know what you would do, what, what you recommend to do <laughs> right away if you were in their position at the always, same time, helping always, them to always. think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I imagine how difficult it is in my, in my role as advisor and, and coach. Sometimes it's, it's very easy and very tempting to jump in and say, you should do this, this, and this. <laughs> yeah, many times you still do, right? But yeah, but it doesn't go there. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> okay, perfect. And um, in, if you could tell us a little bit more about the investment thesis of um, Telefonica uh, and, and Wider, um, so for, for the ones who are listening <coughs> to understand what is your focus in terms of investment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you need to, to think that WIDA started like eight years ago. So we still have like a long history of doing over 800 investments, right? I mean, we have now a portfolio of around 500 companies. So we talk, we talk about scale here. When a big corporation does something, it, 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 it takes scale, right? At the beginning, it was mostly about democratizing access to entrepreneurship in many ecosystems where there was almost nothing uh, happening in terms of entrepreneurial support like Latin America. Over time, this has evolved so much, right? There is so much more money now in all these ecosystems, so much more sophistication. So the ecosystem has matured, the entrepreneurs have matured, our thesis has matured too over time. Had to, right? Actually, last year, uh, after I came in, we relaunched 
wider, right? We did like a, a reset about, hey, times change, we learned so much. So what's the new thesis? So this is what I'm gonna tell you about, right? I mean, we, we knew that we had to work with more mature entrepreneurs because we, our main key goal and actually our main value prop is that we are able to offer revenue generation for the startups. I mean, if it's for the money, they would not take our money because we had a corporate in the, on the table. If it, it needs to be about offering market validation and access to our customers, right? So if that's the key value prop, we have to work with a bit more mature startups, which have already some um, market fit and can then produce that, that match, right? Mm-hmm. So first thing, working with more mature startups, we don't talk about super big ones, but at least 10, 30 team members, initial revenues, of half a million, two million. I mean, we need to have companies which are already showing some promising, promising traction. And then it needs to be close to, to us in things that, that we can provide value, that we understand, that we can offer technical help. Scale, scale is our new motto, right? We scale startups. Right. So we work on IoT, uh, cybersecurity, video, um, data for sure, you know, in all forms and networks. I mean, it needs to be, I mean, for sure telcos are wide in their scope, but it needs to be in, in that scope, right? And and I would say then we think about that, it's that's the areas. We invest a ticket around 150K and we always co-invest with others. So pro- probably we are in the post-seed, pre-series A, series A, that, that would be the, the key range, probably not the first check, check. We were the first check before. Now we are probably not the first check in the in the company, right? So that, that gives you an idea. But if, if you ask me then what we look at uh, to invest, that's like yeah. the first filtering for us is mostly uh, the team. What, what is the team, the composition, how are their motivation, expertise, uh, why are they doing what they're doing, the market, how big is the market and how aligned that is with Telefonica's vision, right? We, we try to look into that. Right. And, and we don't, I would say we don't look so much in five years projections at that stage. Got it. Got it. Sounds, sounds good. And um, in terms of um, nowadays, as you're saying, there is much more liquidity in the market. And mm-hmm. we might have the opposite paradox of, of the past uh, that uh, a bunch of, of startups were kind of desperate to find a very few number of investors and of capital. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes nowadays we have the opposite. We have a, a lot of investors trying to compete to or to cooperate to get in in very few deals that are really promising and that are showing traction and a lot of potential uh, in the future. So it, it, it's good to see. And I, I like to ask um, our guests that have also the investment at uh, in their roles nowadays uh, if they have any story uh, about a company that was really really hard uh, to join. Uh, do you have any example? Yeah, I mean, well, as, as you said, right, it's, it's, it's not always easy, not anymore, right, with so much more money. And, and the best entrepreneurs have the connections, they, they know who to talk to, so they get access to, to the right investors. And remember, we are the corporate, right? So we, <laughs> despite Telefonica's name or anything else or size, I mean, we are not the best looking uh, girl or boy in the disco, right? So we, we need to be able to partner with others. We need to make sure that the, 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 the teams who have that activity, which would be the great VCs, they let us sit on the table, right? So that's important. So we need to provide value and we need to be very humble. That's a key point. And I have a story. I mean, we, 
it's a deal we are just closing, so I won't disclose the, <laughs> the, the name right now. Okay. But, but, but it shows you the idea. I mean, a great uh, company in Latin America, uh, second time founder. So then it makes it much more difficult because they have all the experience and the track record uh, with great connection to the Valley, already with big investors of the Valley in, in the cap table. And, and we could provide great value as, as partners but then they say, yeah, but then just to a commercial agreement. Why, why do we need you in the cap table, right? So we are trying to prove that us being, we, we are pretty accommodating as an investor, right? We are not too averse to different valuations. We, we try to help. So let me be part of the, of the team from within, not just as a commercial agreement. And, and that's what we, what we managed very, very recently. It's going to be announced soon, but it's again, if the teams has all the connections, you need to be super humble to, to be able to, to jump there. And, and that starts much way, way uh, before they start racing, right? You need to build this rapport many months before. Absolutely. Very good uh, story. And now I, I have a set of uh, questions and for the ones who are joining for the first time, we always have conversations with our guests around the set of very simple habits that we believe that can help companies to scale, uh, namely applying the secret formula of the uh, triple two times and double three times for those who never heard about this. It's about going from two to six million, six to 18 million, and then from 18 to 36, 36 to 72, 72 to 144, which will give you five years of the, world class <laughs> scaling. The, the, way, the, way you see, the way you say it seems easy. <laughs> exactly. that, that's what I'm trying to yeah. convince the, go, the scale up founders out there that, uh, yeah, we, we all can do this. Very few <laughs> will be able to do it, but you can do it. <laughs> you know what you're missing there? Uh, you're missing the, the plateau, right? I mean, the, there is always a plateau happening. Jason Lemkin mm -hmm. explains it very well, right? Between two to 10 million ARR, something's going to happen to you, man, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be a plateau in leads or some issues on tech debt or legacies or you international expansion, your first acquisition, whatever. I mean, and all probably all of this compounded. And then you're going to have a big plateau in this growth, and then you will be able to go back again. That's, that's, a, that's a very good uh, point. That's why usually we like to say that this would be five years, then you had two years of mistakes or of plateaus. <laughs> Plus yeah, exactly. years of product market fit and you have uh, a decade at least exactly. <laughs> if everything exactly. goes well right exactly. <laughs> if you nail it if you nail it 10 years exactly. <laughs> and, and the first habit is of course uh, what um, you also talking about as one of your most important criteria to invest in a company which is all about having a great uh, executive or a great founding mm -hmm. team and then yeah. when they are scaling <laughs> leadership um, team and yeah. leadership team needs to change from from as you were saying from 2 million to 5 from 5 to 10 million from 10 to 20 20 to 40 because the kind of skill set that we need in each stage of growth is different and what we are trying to solve yeah. is also um, different so as, a, as an operator as a and as an investor um, how can you how important do you think it is to keep evolving the team by coaching them, by developing them, by attracting new people to the next stages of growth. And, and at the same time, uh, how difficult do you see uh, taking, making these decisions for founders 
who were successful with some of the members of the team that now needs to tell them thank you so much but i believe that for the next stage we need a different kind of profile mm -hmm. um to help the company to to scale so second first do you see different variations of leadership team and second uh, how do you help the founders to make the decisions when they don't want to hurt the feelings of people that have worked side by side with them for so long yeah or even even the founders themselves right I mean, at some point that you understand that your value to the company is much more in an advisory level in a board or having from a strategic perspective, but not so much on day to day, right? I mean, many founders are amazing at building uh, the company at the beginning right. and have the passion and the technology knowledge. After you have a company of 60, 100 people, it's a different game. And then it's more about how you manage that, how you manage sales and, 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 and maybe you don't want to do that, right? And then you are much better for the startup doing something else right? right so how as a founder are you able to leave room for somebody else to come in take your baby and bring it to the next level right so it's it's very hard but it's such a important thing right a continuous learning continuous evolving of everybody in the team to see how much you can stretch that because some people are able to readapt and, and learn and, and become different persons in different stages amazing and someone right some someone so then you need to add the new people right I would say a, a very important thing I've seen in the past for me and for others is when you're able to connect to your peers, your trusted peers. Let me be clear, not, not just peers, but who is doing similar things in your own same ecosystem who you can talk to and learn about, right? I mean, not just founder to VP, but it's all the VPs of marketing or CMOs in a certain ecosystem should connect and talk and what you're doing, you learn from others, mistakes, you, you get handbooks. Same with CTOs, same for sure with CEOs, CEOs, right? I mean, that gives you a shoulder to cry on, which is very important. But also right. learning, learning by peers is the most important learning ever. So uh, we try to do that at WIDA, right? How we can connect in every ecosystem, the, not just the founders, but also the leaders with same interests, same knowledge or similar areas of expertise so they can talk to each other and learn from each other. Very good. Um... Point and what is in your in your perspective? What is the most difficult uh, VP to hire? <laughs> which 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 one is not? No, but I, I have I have one. I have, an you. I have an answer for you, uh, particularly for for uh, foreigners in the US like uh, like us, right? I mean, the, in Spain and in many other countries I've been, uh, speaking very good English is seen as a as a matter of you are clever, smart, or something, right? So hiring a VP sales in the US is super difficult because A, they speak perfect English. So so you tend to think they are smart, but you don't know. But right. so you and they and, and, and the Americans know how to sell themselves so well, right? So then, then you you are just as a humble European who would not talk so much about yourself, whatever, then you hear this great people talking incredible <laughs> accent and then able to just sell themselves amazingly and you're like hired you're hired but that's a very very hard hide to do and a very dangerous one absolutely got it very very good so let's let's jump to the um, to the to the habit number two uh, which is all about defining what is the next big uh, milestone Typically, uh -huh. on those kind of uh, business, the, the next big milestone <coughs> that gets us closer to the next liquidity event or to the next 
uh, round as we were having a conversation with Chris Wade, um, which is which were venture partner at Octopus and um, now a partner at Isomer Capital that invests in, in, in seed funds. And he was talking about this. So, so the, the next big milestone is what gets you closer to, to the next um, funding round to keep building um, a category leader. And of course, this discussion uh, can be split among uh, a lot of different things. So what is what are the verticals that we should focus on? What are the geos that we should expand to? Uh, should we go, as you were saying before, should we go to uh, mid-market, to SMB or to enterprise? We can't do all at the same time. We will be diluting our resources. So this kind of strategic decision about what is the next big thing and how can we kill all the other activities for the next quarter are super, super difficult and can quit a lot of sleep to, to founders. So how do you help them to through <coughs> these battles uh, of trying to understand what they should do next? Yeah, and if, if you think about that, I think the, the key challenge you have in C stage is that you always think there's a, a missing feature you need to build in the product right now. Let's, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna just do these little features, gonna change everything. And you'd add another feature, another feature. And, uh, and it's crazy because you, most of the funders are very tech driven and, and they think, yeah, I, I can solve this puzzle by adding more to the product before even testing. So if I can answer this with a short uh, sentence is key focus, make your customer happy. And if you don't know who your customer is, then you have a bigger problem. But I mean, make somebody happy. I mean, if you're just making your product team happy because you're building more stuff, then that's probably not the right way. So how can we help teams to focus on the customer side? It's each of our country managers at WIDA in every country, right? And is in a way the partner of a very small fund, right? If you think about that, the distribution, the capillarity, and they are trying to do that, right? I mean, hey, do more tests with customers. We give them the access to customers, to do pilots, to do commercial engagements too. So uh, customer obsession is what we bring into the table. I think that's that's our key value. Very, very, very good point. Uh, and I love it, this, the, the key focus makes your customer um, happy. So that that's an amazing uh, way to kind of create focus on, on the conversation. Um, and in terms of geographical expansion, uh, you were mm -hmm. saying yourself that you you, you were at car to 10, year, uh, 10 days a month in, in New York, another 20 days in, in Spain. Um, so it, it's very difficult to dilute yourself if you are expanding across Europe, coming from Spain to, to Germany and mm -hmm. France or the UK or uh, trying to jump into the into the US, which is which uh -huh. might be even more uh, difficult. So, how do you ensure that you are not trying to do too much, also in the geographical uh, sense? Yeah, or too much or too early. So, I it's it's a very good point. I, probably you never know. I, I, at least you should have a big stronghold in your local market. Have really really proven that customers are buying from you in, in a repeated basis, big customers, and that you have some anchor customer on the other region, right? I mean, if you're just going just like that, like, uh, let's see how it works, super difficult, right? And particularly in the, in the mature markets like UK or the US. So find from the local market, a global player who has presence or hopefully headquarters in the US, 
win that customer and use that relation and that flagship customer as a way to start then building the relationship in the, in the new one. I think, I mean, you should not open many countries. I mean, go for the go for the more meaningful ones, which will be probably the, the bigger markets, US, UK, Latin, Brazil, probably depending on what kind of, of company you have, right? And then focus there. And the key point that, that you mentioned briefly there, that devotes founders time. I mean, there is almost no way you can delegate that. I've seen so many founders tell me, oh, we have hired somebody in the US, great accent, by the way. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it never works out. It never works out. It, you need to have founders time. Uh, and that's that's very distressing in a personal life. Right? Absolutely. Very good point. And um, so it, in principle, and let's introduce habit number three, if you have the right team for this specific stage of growth, and if you are very clear about what is the next milestone that we need to execute that to get closer to our big area audacious goal, it's all about executing. Um, and we know that we can have a perfect strategy and we can keep discussing the strategy again and again and again, but at the end of the day, if we, if we don't keep testing, experimenting and getting conclusions and uh, going deeper into our decisions, nothing will happen. So what kind of meeting rhythms do you see in the most successful companies in your portfolio and that you have applied yourself as a CEO? So kind of dailies, weeklies, monthlies, quarterlies, any, any particular rhythm that was really useful for you to drive execution, alignment, communication across the team? Uh, there are many, many handbooks for that, right? I would say, I mean, and it changes from small teams. I mean, when you are this Jeff Bezos concept of the two pizzas, to pizza's team right so then right. if you are 10 15 then everything can be much less formal people will communicate almost through osmosis from each other because they are sharing the space so so then we had much less organization at the beginning and much less cadence right or but over time when you are over 50 then a lot of things start to happen right and less much more communication issues different locations different languages uh, right. misalignments happening so so there I would say there's two very important points. One is what you mentioned, how you establish this cadence of meetings, for sure, uh, stand-up meetings at least once once per week. I, I'm not a big fan of the daily ones, but it depends on which kind of, of teams you have and which kind of products, but weekly for sure. We are having bi-weekly all, all hands of all the locations together to discuss with, with the CEO and the key, uh, celebrate too, celebrate the key highlights and et cetera and then adding more and more tools to the meetings. We are also having then quarterly reviews of the OKRs and quarterly reviews of, of the goals, but then also having a yearly retreat of all the people of the company, a yearly summit, and then having also quarterly exec team retreats. So in a way, you are creating these cadences to check the day, daily thing, the bi-weekly thing, the, the monthly closings with the investors, and then the then you align then your board meetings, which tend to be quarterly with executive meetings. So, so you are doing the executive before the board meeting. So you are prepared for one, for the board, for us to rethink what you're doing. There is a great book I would like to recommend to all of you exactly about this. It's called The Advantage. I think, uh, I, I mean, I think it's The Advantage, something like organizational health trumps uh, everything in organizations. And it's by Patrick Lencioni. Very tactical book, but it talks all about these kind of things. And just one last point, if I may add that, we of talk course. about current and meetings here, but a very, very important point is culture. 
and culture gets diluted over time, we have more team members. So I got a great advice by one of our board members is you need to imprint culture in people over time. And that's not easy. And rituals help. So, so I'm not talking about cheesy words and sentences in a, in a wall. I'm talking about that you really define the values and they are coherent. They need to hurt. If, if values do not hurt, then maybe not, not so relevant. They need to be things that, that are meaningful to you, to your company. So strong values that hurt, rituals that help you imprint that from, from the yearly and meeting of all the company, from how you talk to people, from, and that needs to, that needs to permit everything, right? Gives you principles to rely on. Got it. Very good, very good points again. So, and uh, introducing one of the last topics of, of the conversation and of the show today. So if we have the right team, if we have the right direction, if we are executing <laughs> and learning as quickly as possible, so we need to assure that we have the fuel uh, to get to the next um, milestone. Mm -hmm. and, and cash, as we know, in, in high-growth business are, is critical. Um, uh, so what are the kind of mistakes managing cash kind of burning too much too early uh, yeah. instead of waiting to experiment before doubling down? Did you see over your career or did you commit yourself uh, managing cash uh, along the scaling up journey? Yeah, I mean, uh, I would say we, we as entrepreneurs, we are very good at defining the expenditures and we usually meet expenditures. When we define growth projections, we are not so good, right? <laughs> but once you don't meet the growth projection, but you do meet the expenditures, then Correct. things get ugly, right? Things get a bit ugly. So I would say you need to be readjusting all the time, right? I mean, uh, before we saw Imaster um, 224, I mean, it was an 11 years journey, but we were very close to, to getting out of cash a few times, right? Probably seven to eight times. And not all of them were at the beginning. You can think that probably five or six were at the first one or two years. Everything was really bootstrapped. But when we had already a much bigger company making much bigger revenues, even then you have then suddenly these issues where you were not getting the money from your customers and then bam, you had a, a big cash problem, right? So you need to plan beforehand. You need to plan always with, I have seen entrepreneurs with three, four weeks of cash very calmly like, yeah, no worries because this is going to happen and that. And you are still, I mean, Entrepreneurs are, are um, how do you say that, are sick optimists, right? They, they are really like crazy optimists because if not, they would never <laughs> be entrepreneurs, which makes sense. But you need to right. be thinking that what's the worst case scenario? I mean, if I don't get all this money, I think, what is my plan B? Or, or even worse, I mean, you, you, we had a few acquisition offers before the one that finally went through. Then you start thinking, why well, this is going to happen. I'm not going to pay the payroll anymore because, I mean, somebody else is going to pay the payroll after the acquisition. But then it doesn't go through, and then you have to pay the payroll again, and you're like, "What?" So, so what is your plan B, your plan C, your plan D? Are you able to raise funds or not? Are you able to access venture debt or not? And and you cannot just think that no, no, no worries, because everything is gonna be fine, and I'm gonna be just meet my my whole goals. Keep make yourself always have some some room, right? And and the other thing that happens is that then you raise too much money. And then you start like thinking you can do everything at once, as we said before, and, and then you expand too much, do too much, too much higher, too much money in marketing. And that's very dangerous. So I think burn rate needs to be kept really uh, in jail, right? 
And if your bookings, if your monthly bookings are lower than, than your monthly burn rate, be careful. Again, very good points. Also taking notes as, as, as we speak. And uh, uh, nowadays, uh, as you're saying, as you, are, as you were also commenting now, we are seeing larger and larger rounds. And we are seeing also um, less patience with, with growth rates. Uh, as we were discussing uh -huh. when we were opening up the show, uh, there is this uh, triple two times, double three times. We also have the SAS napkin from Point Nine and Christophe Piens. Great, that, great guys, by the way. Great guys, that, yeah. Absolutely. That uh, also talks about this kind of rate uh, in terms of metrics that would be important to raise the, um, the next round. So it's, it's all about doubling uh, or tripling revenues uh, every year. As you were saying, sometimes we face some growth plateaus, and this can make the, the founders very desperate, uh, especially uh, first-time founders uh, of what would be the solution. I would say even senior founders, uh, it, it, not, it might not be easy to then face this plateau and try to find out a solution to go through that. So mm -hmm. how important do you think it is to really show uh, growth of 2x or 3x every single year during the scaling up journey? I mean, it's very, very important. And it, this is a power distribution, right? So the, the best get the best uh, uh, funding from the most connected VCs, which then gets to the next stage and then you get more publicity and you get more leads. And then, so it's a, almost a self-fulfilling prophecy once you are getting scale. So if you derail, it's very, very hard. Very, very how, how you can get back, right? So, I mean, but then we have seen that most, some of the most successful IPOs this year were a much longer story with a lot of hiccups. They had good years, bad years. So, so I would say you need to be focusing on traction, but you not you cannot get you cannot get obsessed about that. And what does it mean? I mean, maybe you you need more time. Maybe uh, for a few years you're gonna have this plateau, and for sure VCs and investors will push you. No, no, go on, grow because I need you to be following my chart of the perfect company. But that, that's a bit of a myth of the perfect company. The, the only issue is that maybe you need to raise money and then you won't be able to have the story that supports your funding. So have more money in the bank, focus more on profitability, right? Be, or be close to profitability so that you don't depend so much on external funding. And then maybe you will have some one year which is a bit worse and this 15% monthly growth, right? MRR 15%, 15%, and then you make one month 8% is like, oh, disaster. Come on. I mean, you made an 80% monthly grow. I mean, so try to try to be coherent in thinking, I'm going where I want to go. Are my customers happy? What is my churn rate? I mean, I am providing something of value. Maybe it takes a bit more of time, but it would not be such a big, big issue, right? Yeah. And sorry, guys. Uh, we'll hear the, the phone now no, no worries and we are coming to to the end of the show in principle not a time that you would get the the, the phone but um yeah so if you if you'd have the opportunity uh and now i will let you choose or even both to get mm -hmm. uh, to the beginning of when you joined it at cartoon or when you joined it 
Telefonica or both, uh, what advice would you offer to your uh, younger self? Uh, let's do the exercise as an operator and as an investor. I think it would be <laughs> nice to, to have those two advices for yourself. <laughs> Dude, so, I mean, joining WIDA more than advice as an investor, which I think is a good point. I, it's an advice going into the corporate life, right? Which is also, uh, it's, a, it's also a, a big thing. So, so I would say when you join the corporation, Corporations are incredible at scale. They can do massive things and they are unstoppable. I mean, I'm now still like, wow, flabbergasted by how this can happen at this scale in all these countries. I'm loving it. But, but there's less questioning, right? So there is more the hierarchy and the orders. So my advice to my younger me one year and a half ago and, and to my future me is keep on questioning everything, right? Don't don't just adjust to rules if they are absurd. Don't let bureaucracy eat you, right? Try to be the same person you were as an entrepreneur because the inertia of the corporation is, is massive, right? So that would be the advice for the corporate side of things. And as entrepreneurs, I, I would say the key advice to my younger self is hire the right VPs quicker. So surround yourself as quickly as possible with the people, the, the, the men and particularly the women, because that's a, a big thing. We need to work much harder on, okay. on entrepreneurship and an executive team and, and startups is find the ladies which are going to bring you to the next stage because they, the team trumps totally everything. Amazing way of uh, closing the show. Uh, Miguel, it was really a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for, for sharing pleasure. your journey with us. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mike. It was my pleasure. Bye-bye. And to our community, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. We keep uh, showing up every single week to help you go from 2 million to 100 million, uh, if possible in 10 years or less, without so much drama and so much stress. Thank you so much for joining again. See you next week.